Hi, I'm Patrick. And I'm Jeff. And we're making a TV show. With Patrick's writing. And Jeff's experience. We're on the journey to turn this story into the next bingeable series. We're documenting our collaboration. The highs and lows and everything in between. So that you can see what it takes to make a TV show while we're developing it. This is Two Guys Making a TV Show. On today's episode, we talk about moving into phase two of our development for Row. Later, we talk about the market, specifically around Disney's release of Black Widow, both in the theaters and streaming, and what sort of incentives there are for people to go to the theaters when something's going to get released on a streaming platform imminently or within the next couple of months. If we're at this stage uh, of development with our sizzle to where we are now a, a day or two away from sharing it with our kind of curated list of folks on our newsletter, um, what are our next steps to get this thing done so that it can meet its audience yeah. um, through a, a sale to whoever, AMC or Netflix or wherever it lands. Because um, we've, we've been talking about uh, show showrunner, pilot director, key talent. There's like three to two individuals and possibly a group of individuals. Um, if not just one like predominant uh, actor or actress. So yeah, so that was it was kind of like, all right, let's re let's refresh that because I think we're we're right at that stage. We've got the VFX work that we'll still try to figure out. Um, but that that's just buttoning up what we've done. And now it's what do we do? Who do we need to talk to? How do we talk to them? What do these relationships look like? When do we need to raise money? How much money should we raise for what? And what timing are we thinking about for having meetings with executives and who do we want to pull on to help us get those meetings? And then what are those meetings going to look like both with the co-producer and uh, ultimately studio or streaming execs? Yeah, feels like we're, we're entering phase two. Um, so I thought that's probably a good idea to refresh that for us. Like, what is our plan here? We're back to the strategic level, right? We have a tactical um, tool, which is the sizzle. Mm -hmm. And that's a means to an end in terms of raising capital and attaching that key talent, showrunner, director, some combination thereof, definitely a showrunner, but some combination thereof of, of the talent and director. And um, aligning our ship with some with those, that talent and, and those collaborators so that we can go out and sell this thing, right? Mm -hmm. The, um, I think the first thing is to, if it's a step-by-step, -step, I think the first thing is to, to start setting up meetings with people and actually really talking in earnest about what it is we're trying to do on a, on probably a face-to-face -face or a Zoom call level um, and telling them, notifying them that like, look, we're, we're looking to raise capital to do this thing. I think this is where the, the um, 
one possible bifurcation point may be is that if we theorize and strategize down these two separate paths, I think they give us different answers in terms of what our ask is. So I, it sounds like really what we're getting in is like, what is our ask now, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of, of the next phase. And largely, like if I were to just put it on paper and try and remove myself as much, be as objective as I can, it seems like if we raise X amount of money, a lesser amount than X plus one, X will give us, will get us all the way to attaching talent and showrunner, right? Mm -hmm. That money is, 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 is issued to them before a sale, right. um, the time that they'll need to attach, especially as a showrunner, to um, give towards the product will increase. So it delays our entry into, into any formal discussions with executives and so forth, right? Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially if Aaron Sorkin or whatever comes on board and he wants to you know, tinker with it, it probably is worth giving him the time to tinker with it, right? Um, but as I've learned from these other projects, like they, they, they do take a bit of time. Uh, one of these projects, Ring Road, has taken up to three years already next month, mm -hmm. um, largely because a great portion of that, probably the first year, was literally nitty gritty on a day by day, week by week basis, reworking and retooling the documents that we would need for talking and discussing and sending the, that, that new revised script to collaborators within anonymous even some talent even some directors um and then the other portion of it there have been co probably combined up to 12 plus months of of sort of strategic waiting and waiting for the market to adapt and based on the guidance of you know some of the executive producers that we worked with who feel like you know now is the right time to send out emails oh we've got to wait a month okay we got to wait a month before we send it out to the next person and I don't think it's because they've, they don't know what they're doing. I think it's because they, they're used to just the business working in this regard. I do think that that maybe largely paints and frames sort of the, a lot of the input that I've been giving in our discussions, which is how do we get away from that? Like, how do we make sure our ask is big enough so that we're not, we're not stuck if we go through that process and after three years, despite having attached talent and a showrunner, there's no more gas in the tank to, to go beyond even half of the studio executive conversations that we wanna have. Not to say that we won't have them, not to say that we can't have them, not to say that we won't make a sale, but um, how do we have something left over so that we push this thing forward regardless of, of someone else's um, say at the end of the day? Um, yeah. Well, one one uh, detailed question it, for a showrunner, if so, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, getting a, a super qualified showrunner on board could cost, but it's just label it as 150 grand. What does that 150 grand buy? At the end of the day, the, the number one thing that you're buying is their sway and their relationships to studio executives like that's in, in what time frame 
Like, is it typically like a, oh, this is a 12 month relationship and it's like, at least an 18 month relationship. Cause that'll, that would be the first, you know, sort of entry point. Um, I believe that three years is, is probably the, the point in which I, I, I don't think this is a, a general rule of thumb for anyone, but if you're spending three years and you're legitimately pitching it, so you'll, let's say it's within 18 months, you've pitched it to as many executives as you can. You've collected either your, your yeses, your maybes, or your noes. Let's say they're all noes. And then you have another 18 months to kind of try and revamp it and make it in a way that, you know, is fresh and, and honestly, perhaps even just waiting for some of those executives to move on or get fired or, or whatever. Um, so that, you have as much of a fresh slate as you can. And after that point, if you've tried twice and, and the market just won't take it, it sort of comes back to just waiting on us. You know, a good example is uh, uh, the Queen's Gambit, which took what? Some, 30 years. 30 years, yeah, to make, you know, and that guy was no, the guy who wrote it was not some it wasn't like he's like I'm just gonna come. He he wasn't a professor coming out of his his PhD, you know, uh, tenure over at St. Trinity's School or whatever in Ireland, like the GOT guys. Like he was a proven entity, and it still took him that much time, you know. Um, I personally, I come up against that in my head with how much time it could take. With well, how do we how do we protect any possible investment in terms of speeding that thing up so that things come to market faster or as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I keep coming back to, you know, when we talk about raising capital or making our ask, we can ask for just enough money to get the package together. And, um, and once it sells, that's great. That would be a fine, fine trajectory. Or we could ask for more than that and still do that thing. But if should that thing not happen, we have a fail safe built in where we are proceeding with some product, some realization of that thing um, within a three year span, you know? Yeah. So rather than wait for the three years to turn to, to come and go and then go, okay, well, let's start from scratch. And hopefully no one, you know, hopefully all the faces that said no for the first time are gone. So they don't know us. Um, we have some sort of option then. And we could still do it then too. Um, maybe the talent, well, honestly, within three years, the, the talent will probably be locked in on something else anyway, but um, I would like to, I, I think our ask is what's going to help us keep as much wind in our sails as possible and, as, and kind of be the captain of our own ship as much as possible. If we're, if we're talking about doing things differently here than we are in the traditional model, um, I do think that that does come with an implication of increased risk in terms of, yeah, you guys might make the thing on your own, but is it gonna, is it gonna find an audience? That's, and that's a valid, very valid question, but that's not to say that the traditional way is any, is any more likely to find an audience than than a non-traditional approach, than a hybrid approach, because mm -hmm. it could very well be bought up by Netflix or a streamer or what have you, and just live on a shelf and then be forgotten about internally. You know, so that's not to say that it's a 
it's a clear path in, in either situation. I just, I, I'm an advocate for stressing and ask now when we talk to these investors that lays out more of the, the plan that we have philosophically rather than necessarily just the, the return on, on one project. Um, though that yeah. one project is the tip of the spear. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a tough line to, to manage. Um, but I guess I, it's not tough given that, I mean, you, you uh, sold a show, you are currently in the option period for a show. You've optioned a show, yeah. Um, so in that sense, that your your credibility is that this isn't your first rodeo. Now, have you have you done twenty? Not yet. Um, so it, it's it's not as if it's a completely known entity that it's like, hey, we're um, focus features, and we're gonna do this new slate, and people go, oh, okay. Like no one goes to focus features and say, who are you guys anyways? <laughs> like, right. no, pe people know. Um, so we're not there yet, but we've got more, I mean, through you, there's more credibility than just, hey, this is our first first show. Um, when we attach that, when we attach a showrunner and that talent, we're attaching much more credibility, right? Like we're attaching... You asked earlier, what are we buying with that money? Like we're buying the connections to the studio executives. We're buying the credibility. We're buying a track record. You're buying, you know, if you buy a showrunner's work in television, you're essentially buying like, oh, well, they're going to make a show that's like these past proofs of uh, proofs of success, right? And proofs of audience. Yeah. Um, whereas in, in your example, like if you talk about uh, a focus features or even an Indian paintbrush or anything like that, those types of companies in A24, what have you, Fox Searchlight even. Mm -hmm. um, you're talking about at some level, they generated projects and they also just bought projects. They acquired them um, yeah. for Which, pennies on the dollar oftentimes. Side note, um, I'm very curious, this book that I'm rereading uh, that I forgot how much I enjoyed it called I Am Pilgrim uh, by Terry Hayes, I think is the author's name. I don't know why that's not a movie or a series. Um, so I'd be super curious to see who owns the rights to that currently. I, I haven't looked, it just popped in my head as we were talking, because I know that that's something like future state, it would be great to acquire um, yeah. IP from different um, different sources like books or comics or whatever else. But in yeah. any case, yes, we're, uh, we're, we haven't established ourselves as, as, uh, as credible as the Indian paintbrushes and A24s and, and so on. Um, so yeah, so that, that does, yeah, being able to raise some that allows us to um, to acquire the talent of a showrunner and named actor um, 
as well as a, a reserve that could be used for marketing and production if after a year and a half or two years, we say, let's just shoot it ourselves with the team that we have. And then we'll use that for a marketing budget and do it that way and put it up on Video Direct and Apple and Google through those platforms and have a kind of a traditional sales approach uh, or sell to a streamer uh, or that, I guess framing it, a streamer buys the property and then we can use the reserve for uh, the next three projects that we're putting on a slate to get to the point of a sizzle to where we can say, all right, now we've got these, where do we want to go with that? Okay, let's raise some money so that we can pitch and get this stuff out and attach people and then do it for five. Um, yeah. So if we were going to get in touch with, say, Britt Marling, who I think has a unique fit in that she doesn't have a whole lot of credits behind her, but the credits that she has are um, very interesting. And the, the OA in particular is such a unique show that was able to capture a lot of audience share on Netflix. Um, what would we even do to open up the conversation with her? What's, what's fun is um, it'll look a lot like our initial conversations. You know, we'll reach out through her representation or her legal counsel, right? Um, make contact, see if she's interested or even fielding any projects or what have you, right? Whatever's going on in her, from her side of things. Um, let's say that she, she's receptive. We started an initial conversation, which would probably be something pretty informal, actually a Zoom conversation or, or maybe we're out in Los Angeles and we get a chance to just speak with her over coffee at her office or at a coffee shop or whatever. Um, it's amazing how, how relaxed the first parts of a television show feel, you know, initially. It really is coffee and, and just chit-chatting and just getting a sense of like, can we work together at all? Like, do we, do we see the world the same way? Mm. Um, mainly because especially in TV, that's what you're doing is you're creating a world, you know, right? So you need to know that, that you guys view things in a compatible way. Um, let's say she, she goes, okay, you know what? I really like you guys. I trust what you're saying. Send me the full script, send me everything and let me think about it. And honestly, she'll probably take like a month to review everything. Um, and then through her legal counsel or her representative again, Hey, let's set up a more a more formal meeting. I want to talk in this and this and this. And if that goes well, she'll say, "Okay, well, let's start talking. Let's have our lawyers discuss, and we'll start putting a deal together." So then we would start talking about, uh, in a legal capacity, working together, equity, you know, so forth. Right. Um, that goes through. That probably takes a month to six weeks. That goes through. We deliver monies for her initial payment you know 
and uh, we get to work. And basically that might look like any number of things. It can look like anything from, okay, well, she may say, it's really up to her, but she may say, I wanna set up an, an initial producer's writer's room, let's say, and we'll all collab and jam out for months until I get my head around this, right? And she'll pull it apart and dissect it. Or she might say, thanks guys, I'm gonna go retreat for the next two or three months. Uh, I'll keep you guys posted, but I'm gonna come back with something that is kind of like where I see things, you know? Um, we do that two, three, four, five times, however many times it takes really until we get it to a point where we're really feeling good about it. Mm -hmm. And then we say, okay, if we're ready to start going outside of the circle of trust, then let's start reaching out to directors. Let's start reaching out to talent that we might know. Um, Britt, I believe off the top of my head is with CAA. So she'd probably talk to her agent and go, hey, will you get this to, maybe there was an actor that she worked with on the OA that she thinks would be good for this, right? Um, yeah. In fact, probably would be. Um, so on and so forth, right? And it kind of just slowly builds and expands from there until we're all sort of unified under the same thing. Um, and then finally, that's when, when we feel ready. And again, those discussions as we lock on talent onto our package would be much in the same as they were with, with a Brit or a showrunner or have, what have you. And then once we have that all in place, we go, okay, let's start, let's start seeing if we can get any interest in, in set up some meetings from the executives. And uh, so even in our situation, you know, in terms of like, what is our timeline to a likely interaction for a sale with with an executive it's probably still in that traditional way it's probably still a year away or so no maybe not that long but but a, a, a year wouldn't be surprising yeah probably not months you know so would we want to would we want to start opening the conversations with showrunners now and then get the attempt to raise the money as we're getting into those conversations like we could or the agents or would likely say i mean the one initial thing that would be good is you know and one thing I'm, I'm a strong advocate for with having legal representation is oftentimes uh a, a lawyer is a good way to get past that first barrier to entry mm. in terms of just passing the legal uh threshold right um, there's a thing that happens and I think a lot of people get frustrated, especially people starting out in the industry where they're like, I submitted everywhere and no one will return my call. No one will even respond to me. Nothing. Right. Well, it's not because they're necessarily big dogging you. It's because they legally, they could get in trouble if they acknowledge that you sent over a script and then it just so happens that they have another one that's based on the same ideas. And then you see that and go, well, you took my idea because you responded to my email with my script attached unsolicited. And now I see that you made a sci-fi movie with robots in it. That's what mine was about. And now I'm going to sue you for $10 million. Right. Um, yeah. Whereas if you come with a lawyer, you know, there's a little bit more formality to it in terms of protection, not to say that you absolutely need it, but it's helpful, but let's say yeah. in theory, no, I mean, I don't think it's, it's necessarily wrong or, or out of procedure to, to reach out, begin reaching out to agents and such. Uh, I do think you want to reach out to kind of one at a time, just so that you're not shotgunning all over town. And then there may be some crossover, especially with some of these showrunners, they're all going to be repped at the same places. 
mm -hmm. uh, many places. But um, finding out where, like, when we talk, like, I mean, that's that's part of our tactical, you know, is narrowing down who do we want to go out to first. Like in a perfect world, who would we reach out to first? Um, I think Britt Marlin's a, a pretty good, pretty strong contender. Like, I I really do think the work she did in that way is really conducive to to row. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, and then the agent will ask, is this set up? And that's kind of code for, do you have money? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, from there, we just kind of have to start the discussion and say, well, we are set up. We're, we're talking to investors right now. Um, what would it take to, to bring someone on board like, like Ms. Marling, you know? Um, so that would be kind of the get-go. It is, I mean, it's a little bit more straightforward if, if you do feel confident, you do have the, the funds, but they, there's, it's not necessarily something that can, that has to happen one in front of the other, you know, they can happen in parallel. Um, yeah. It's just a matter of, you know, on the investor side, it's like, well, we're going to talk to Britt Marling and someone goes, Oh, wow. I know Britt Marling. I love the OA. Let me write a check. And then it turns out the next week, Britt Marling has no interest or whatever. And we have to tell that investor who wrote a check, okay, well, it turns out she didn't want to do it, but we're going to go after this other person. It's not as, you know, we're going to be as transparent as possible and things change, but um, you also don't want to acquire funding over pr false pretenses, right? So That's true. Yeah, that, that, it, that would be the downside of if we're trying to invest on the potential of having Britt Marling get that investment and then find out that it's not actually going to happen. Um, right. It's like that's Even a much if whoever we got was brilliant too. Right. Um, yeah. Because it, I, while it would be a really fast way of raising money, I imagine, like, hey, look, we got the interest of this person. Let's raise some money. It also could fall apart pretty quickly that, oh, well, it seemed like the person was interested. Now they're not, but we're going to find somebody else and be like, okay, I'd like my money back, please. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. So maybe maybe talking with the investment group first to to feel out what that is going to look like and avoid avoid telling it, we could tell them like here are the types of people that we might be interested in and in talking to. Um, yeah. And we can open the conversations up. But yeah, that's a great not only is it a great internal exercise for us and to get our ducks in a row, but like we have that, that spreadsheet already, that number sheet with our kind of picks, refining that and saying, okay, initially, you know, finding over who are the top five that like really we feel each of them would have a very interesting take on this show. Um, and then once we settle on that, really cleaning it up and saying, as we begin those investor conversations, here are the ones that we're really looking at. Here are their strengths. Here's why we think they would be a fit. Here's where they differ, you know, and, and, and the exciting possibilities of where the show might go from there. Um, mm -hmm. We have not started formal conversations with them, but uh, with your, you know, with your funding, this is where we, we plan on going next. Um, and then that, I think, I, I think that's a little bit more transparent and, and um, it just leaves room for the inevitable change that can and most likely will happen, you know, that even we don't foresee, but, um, 
I mean, I would love it if the first person we reach out to says, you know, holy crap, yes, show me where to sign. You know, that'd be great. It's just in my experience, that's not, it's weird. <laughs> it's what's interesting, what I was flabbergasted by that took me a while to, to kind of come to terms with is that showrunners, even if they're free, um, even if they have the time available, it's a lot of work, you know, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of them are like, I would, I'm actually just going to spend a couple of years just hanging out with my kids or whatever. Right. Cause yeah. it's a lot of work, you know, it really, it strains their personal lives. It's just an immense amount of, of work, um, and responsibility and stress. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know. I think it's interesting when I look at Britt Marling's, not that IMDb Pro is the, the greatest indicator ever, but it is interesting that she has nothing in development right now, which maybe she's waiting for the right thing. Maybe she's writing, or maybe she's just taking personal time right now to just chill out, you know? Um, but we'll see. We won't know until we, until we reach out. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, what, uh, what we can look forward to uh, is getting responses from people after sending the sizzle out um see what that response looks like and and closing the loop with uh vfx um so that we can we can say we're we are done um so that'll be good and then and then we'll start having some warm conversations with folks that we can see if we can raise raise some more money for this thing. Here are my thoughts on Black Widow real quick. And um, I think... I I like it because it gives us a chance to exercise our muscles real quick about uh, on both sides, both right and left sides of our brain, right? So I'm going to speak from my right side of my brain first. The writer part of me is saying, you know, here's a, I'll, I'll actually read um, a headline from, uh, from a Google search. You can just see kind of the panic in, or at least the panic that a lot of these journalists are trying to, trying to inspire. Black Widow box office. Gizmodo, Black Widow's box office has theater owners worried about Disney Plus cannibalization. Okay, that's probably a fair thing to worry about. Uh, deadline, Black Widow posts steepest second weekend box office drop for Disney of, of any Disney MCU title. Uh, studio is silent. And finally, from the National Review, is Black Widow's bad box office early proof that Marvel has peaked as of one hour ago? So right side of the brain, we already know where this character winds up. If we saw Endgame, we know what happens to her. She sacrifices her, herself and she's dead, right? This is a prequel. And not only is it a prequel, it's before any of the other like Captain America stuff. Well, okay, with the exception of first Captain America and all the other like Avengers stuff. This is pre-Avengers, right? how whatever developments happen out of it, if it's not directly linked to the main villain of the MCU, which it sounds like it's not, 
uh, sound, or at least not not directly. What is the impetus? Like, what is what are the stakes for us to go see it? Right, like that was always that's a huge pull for many of the films, especially the closer that people know that we're getting to like whatever the the chapter closes. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I, I want to see what kind of tidbits we're leading to, what kind of clues. Right. That was part of the appeal for for Ragnarok, despite the fact it was really really good. It also had the last little nugget. It was the last film before Avengers: uh, Infinity War, I believe. Um, so I haven't seen it yet. It's probably mostly because I'm like, it's not that I don't care. I actually think it's it's a really. It looks like it's really good. It gets it's got good reviews. I already know what happens to the character. Like I, I it's sort of like, eh. There's no, you know, I'll catch it whenever. Um, now the left side of my brain kind of in, in parallel to that is is Disney Plus cannibalizing its viewers? Perhaps. Um, I don't, I mean, I think it's a little too early to tell just given COVID protocols. I don't, I don't know that they're uniform across the nation, right? Like I don't, not exactly sure what every theater is doing, but um, I think it's a little too early to compare that, you know, before COVID times. But uh, I do think that perhaps the theaters, despite not having really any a back foot to stand on right now, they can say, you know, directly that if you're Disney, if you're someone who ha- happens to have a strong presence on both a streamer and, you know, theatrical space, you may want to window. You may want to re- wait just like, you know, a month or whatever, or even two weeks before you start streaming it, because now perhaps people go, oh, I can see it in the theater. Oh, I can see it at home. And then they end up doing neither, right? Or they end up seeing it at home with their family of four, when that would have been four tickets that you had to buy had they gone out to the theater, right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, the math kind of adds up. I actually think that had this been a regular movie as of three or four years ago with a, with a regular window, it probably would be much closer to the billion dollar mark. Probably not the billion dollar, it wouldn't be like Captain Marvel or anything, but um, again, I think that goes to creatively. We all know what happens to this character. So what, what kind of breakthrough could it possibly be that they waited until the end? Basically, it's like an epilogue for phase four, right? Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Was, so what, what comes up for me is, uh, we also knew what happened to uh, Loki in the end. Yes. And yet that show is delightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed it. They were able to take what was known. He gets choked out by Thanos uh, and say, yeah, that did happen. And here's the multiverse yeah and all the possibilities where it didn't happen yeah so that that becomes interesting in a like fresh take um and then secondarily i the if disney if disney's streaming service did not list black widow as an option to watch right now that would be a date night movie that I'd say, oh, can parents, can you watch Claire and Jack? Adrian and I are going to go see Black Widow. It would have been a movie that both of us would be interested in, watch it, and like to see it in the theater. 
when I open up Disney and I see the banner, I think, oh yeah, I, I do want to watch it. I'm so happy that it's right here reminding me that I'd like to watch this content so I don't forget. I also don't want to pay 30 bucks to rent this movie one time when I also know on that banner, it's going to be free as part of the bundle of the Disney Plus subscription. It's going to be free to me in October. I can wait till October. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of feels um, like I, I don't know if we're I don't know if we're comparing the right stuff that like even journalists writing about like oh the terror of yeah. theaters and the big drop it's off. A little bit of a, it's a clickbait title like it's definitely clickbait to be like Marvel has peaked question mark like I don't think so like I think Marvel still has another five years of momentum at the very least probably more like 10 plus easily um Will every single movie be a billion dollar movie? No, that's, I, I think that's unfair of anyone to expect, but, um, but I don't think it's, I certainly don't think it's peaked for the very reason that you just said, right? Like they took a title like Loki. I mean, they're doing extremely good stuff. I think the streaming, and I think maybe you're onto something, but they'll begin to see this too. The streaming is, is probably a better way to amplify the, the theatrical stuff, right? so that you keep bouncing back and forth. Cause I'm with you, like Ra Rachel and I almost ordered, we were like, oh, Black Widow's out. Let's go see how much it is. And we're like 30 bucks. Let's wait. It's a big movie, you know, like let's just wait and go see it in the theaters and we'll pay 45, but we'll get drinks and snacks and stuff too, right? Like that's- And you see it on a big screen with and a big, big sound system and- Yeah. 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 It's a bigger experience. Whereas, but then again, but we haven't done it yet, right? And I think that goes back to, you know. Because you, like, if, I, I think that there's there's this urgency that um, is lacking that I don't know if it's because of our age and we're like, we can wait. But if there was a movie coming out in the theater and I would not know how long it's going to be in the theater, or what length of time it's going to take for it to come out on a streaming service or DVD or whatever, then I need to see this in the theater before it goes away. If I'm told explicitly, this thing that you want to see is going to be available on this date, not too far in the future. And since you already subscribed to the service, you will get it for free as part of that subscription, or you can pay for it now. I'm like, well, why wouldn't I wait? What, what urgent, what is the burning desire to pay money to see it now when I know it's going to be free to me in the not so distant future? Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a good point. I mean, like what if, I mean, if it's not about windowing in the theater, maybe it's about windowing in on the streaming platform. Like what if, I mean, Disney was the one that created the vault, right? And they would release Lion King and they'd be like, okay, it's only- That's exactly what I was thinking time, of. You know? that's, that's why I bought um, Silly Symphonies and um, all these like things that were in limited release when they came out on DVD with new treatments and everything. Because I thought, I don't know when Disney's going to pull this off and I don't want to pay out the nose on Amazon or eBay 
to get this thing that I know is worth $20, $25. That's it. Like, yeah. that's all I'm going to spend. It's available now. I'll get it. Um, yeah. yeah. But without that, yeah. where's the, where's the urgency? It's like, Hey, you can spend money now in two places online through the service or in the theater pick or you can wait two months and even if you didn't have disney you're paying seven dollars in order to watch it and for that seven dollars you get access to all this other stuff too like it's a temporal discounting problem do you want a hundred dollars today or 101 dollars a year from now well you take a hundred dollars today do you want a hundred dollars today or a thousand dollars a year from now maybe a thousand dollars a year from now do you want a hundred dollars today or a million dollars a year from now well i'm definitely waiting for the million dollars like yeah so yeah. it's it's just a balance of okay thirty dollars today or free in two months yeah. like yeah but the choice yeah, is different for people be, that have maybe they should go the opposite way maybe it should be more expensive the more you wait it goes up in price i don't know how they they'll that would be kind of interesting <laughs> to, to model it that way. It'd be like, sure, it's going to come out and it's going to be $2 in, in the first uh, like day, up to $10 in the first week, $30 that into the first month, $100 at the end of yeah, two right. months. <laughs> like We need to watch it now. <laughs> yeah, I better check this thing out, man. <laughs> yeah, and then the, yeah, for the yeah. people that are late to the party, it's like at, you know, after it's a hundred bucks a watch, they're going to take it off, and you have no idea when it's going to come back on the service. Yeah, yeah, that's that windowing on the service. I think might be something. I think maybe all the streamers are looking at it and going, "Oh, maybe we've swung the pendulum too far into the world of convenience, right?" Because when something is plentiful it loses its urgency and it loses its value and all in the name of of convenience rather than in the name of i think balance mm -hmm. you know there was something to was it convenient for me to talk my parents into driving me over to blockbuster only to find out that the one movie i was thinking about was gone off the shelves no it wasn't convenient but it was urgent you know mm -hmm. so that if i did see that movie on there even if it wasn't even if i had given up the next week and i was looking for something else I'd be like, holy shit, we got to rent this too because I was looking for this last week and it wasn't there, you know? Yeah. Um, there was urgency. And when Jurassic Park came out, I didn't want to wait any longer. I wanted to see it. And then I wanted to see it multiple times before it left the theater, right? Mm -hmm. Like I saw that movie six times as a kid. So, because I couldn't wait until the thing, I knew it was going to come out on video, but I couldn't wait that long. Yeah. Um, and part of that is being a kid. You, you don't, you're less able to, emotionally regulate so yeah. i want this thing now just feels yeah. so real because that's yeah. just how the developmental process is whereas when we get to our age it's like two months it's not that long when you think about it whereas that's like you know it's blink of the eye practically yeah, when i'm thinking exactly. about when christmas is coming as a kid i'm like oh my god this is gonna be forever um yeah so there's there's something interesting that's happening um the conversation that was going on because as we've been recording this the last couple of weeks, um, CAM has been going on too, right? Which mm -hmm. is sort of the opposite of the spectrum. But something that's been interesting, a conversation that they've been talking about there is the idea of a cinematic universe, much like what Marvel does, you know, 
from Disney. But in a world where um, the cinematic universe is more tied to a particular director or creator or writer or production team, right? So not to not not quite as perhaps to the extent of like Stephen King's world where uh what well, what is it, the two towers? Um uh, the Dark Tower. Dark Tower, yeah. The Dark Tower series uh essentially encompasses like any everything he's ever written, in, yep. either in full or in part. Um but along those lines, like certain characters from previous films of certain directors will literally appear in or the neighborhood will appear or they'll make reference in the dialogue to something that was spoken about in a totally other than that unrelated film right yeah um, and that's interesting that that there is something to be said which i think goes back all the way to like just the, the nature of storytelling is if people find a story and a character that they like like they'll gladly hear it again as long as there's reason right as long as it's not the same story over and over, but if there's yeah. some expansion or, or new angle. Um, so I guess that circles back to what I led with, which is like Black Widow, good reviews. I like Scarlett Johansson. I like Rachel Weisz. I like uh, Elizabeth Pugh. Uh, I like her a lot. Um, didn't feel like it, it was going to expand so much that I needed to pay $30 the night of, right? Like, yeah, I'm like you. Like I can wait, you know, I'll wait two months and, you know, when the baby gets here, I'll, I'll watch it mindlessly. You know, as I try, maybe. Not to, try to stay awake. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. We'll yeah, see. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get ahead of yourself, Jack. On our next episode, we're going to start riffing on a new show concept that we're developing. With some of the conversations that we've been having with some very impressive people, one of the questions that we get is, what else are you working on? Tune in next week for Two Guys Making a TV Show.